WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. You are listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. This is a big year for Steven Spielberg. Not only is the film about his life, The Fableman's up for six Oscars, including Best Picture, this year is the 30th anniversary of two of Spielberg's career-defining films, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. A dinosaur action adventure and the true story behind Oscar Schindler and the Holocaust could not be more different, and that's what's remarkable. They came after a five-year dry spell, after a whole lot of success in the 70s and early 80s. Jurassic Park and Schindler's List also cleaned up at the box office and in award categories, with Jurassic Park grossing almost $1 billion and Schindler's List and Jurassic Park receiving a combined 10 Oscars. We're joined now by movie critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, Bilga Ibiri, to talk about what was going on in 1993 and walk through some of Spielberg's most impressive works. He wrote a list reviewing all of Spielberg's films ranked worst to best. Bilga, welcome back. Hi there. It's good to be here. And listeners, we want you to be a part of this. What is your favorite Steven Spielberg film? Why? Let us know. Do you have a story perhaps about seeing Jurassic Park or Schindler's List in theaters or maybe another film you saw of his? Maybe you have a personal connection to one of his films. Give us a call. Our phone lines are open. 212-433-WNYC. That's 212-433-9692 to share or tell us. Or you can reach out on social media at all of it WNYC. That's both Twitter and Instagram. So, Bilgo, when you think about a Steven Spielberg film. What makes a movie a Spielberg movie? Wow, that's a that's a big question. You know, I, I grew up with Steven Spielberg movies. I mean, I'm 49 now, so I was just the right age to be seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. in theater. So back then, the idea of a Spielberg film was, you know, it was very family friendly. It had great sort of sci-fi-ish action-y set pieces. Very often it featured uh, a child or a childlike character at their center. But over the years, they've changed quite a bit. And in fact, they start to change right around this time when he makes Jurassic Park and uh, Schindler's List. Um, And he really, as he grows up and as he becomes more of an adult, obviously he was an adult when he was making movies, but he becomes a father. You know, he has a big family and he Mm. starts to make films that feel less like they're from the point of view of a child and more like they're from the point of view of a grown-up, a parent, very often. So that's how it changes. What are some of the elements of a Spielberg film that 
seem to remain the same that you know you're going to find in a Steven Spielberg film? Well, you know, he's a he's a he's a very precise technician. I mean, he he really understands the craft of filmmaking. He knows exactly how to move the camera. He knows how to uh, close in on certain details, not necessarily because they're important, but because he needs to, you know, so he's a magician. So he diverts your attention to something in the frame, but then something else happens that's actually more important and he uses the element of surprise. One thing I've always said, I actually think he's a horror filmmaker at heart. You know, some of the very early films he made right at the start of his career were, were in the horror genre. He hasn't really returned to that genre, but all his films have these elements in them. I mean, if you think about a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, yes, it's a wonderful, rip-roaring, fun adventure for the whole family, but it is terrifying. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, eight-year-old me was terrified at that movie. Um, and Jaws, obviously. But he's never stopped doing that. I mean, if you look even a movie like The Post, which is you know, a a historical drama about the Pentagon Papers, it's shot like a thriller. The way he moves the camera, the way he uses light and shadow, it's it's shot like a thriller. You know, the plot could just be slightly different and it could actually be a thriller. Calls are coming in. Let's go to line two, talking to Artie from Queens. Hi, Artie. Thanks for calling all of it. Guys, I, I love Stevens' movies. Every, I mean, from you, you, you didn't leave, you left out Duel. Not to mention the fact he's the only director I can think of who worked with people from uh, Joan Crawford all the way up to Kevin Costner and, and to the generation now that's making movies. But my favorite fe- Steven Spielberg film is probably Private Ryan. My mm-hmm. father was still alive when it came out, and I remember him and the whole cast on The View. And they had so many questions to ask him from uh, all his different movies that his head was just spinning like a like a bobble. You know, <laughs> Barbara would ask something and, and Joy and then Whoopi. And it, it, so, but yes, I guess Private Ryan is my, my favorite because it makes me think of my father and his generation. Artie, thank you so much for calling in. Let's talk to Alex from Brooklyn. Hey, Alex, thanks for calling all of it. You're on the air. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, my most vivid movie theater memory and still the most terrified I've ever been uh, while watching a film was eight years old. My father took me to see Jurassic Park at the Ziegfeld Theater, rest in peace. And we were in the third row from the front. I white knuckled it the entire time. My entire view was dinosaurs in front of me. And it was just uh, a, a thrilling, terrifying and vivid experience. Alex, thank you so much for calling in. That's a lovely segue to our discussion of Jurassic Park. So it was an early example of CGI, which created those huge scenes, this very scary scenes. What was the initial response to this new technology, Bilga? Well, it was, a, I mean, it was a, a huge, huge hit. So the initial response was very positive and critics liked it as well. You know, Spielberg had always been at the forefront of technology. I mean, special effects and things like that were obviously so important in films like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Close Encounters and Jaws um, and E.T., obviously. Uh, you know, CGI at that point, you know, we'd seen some of it in a movie like Terminator 2 and The Abyss and things like that. We had seen that, but we knew that Spielberg was going to do something special with it, and, and he absolutely did. What is interesting, though, is if you watch Jurassic Park now, you know, and, and they re-released it a few years ago in, in 3D. Um, and I remember seeing it in 3D when it, when it came back in theaters. 
And I actually was kind of surprised by how janky the special effects kind of looked. They, they were, they were, they didn't look as perfect as they did, but that actually almost enhanced the experience. I mean, when I saw it in 1993, the effects were incredible. When I saw it again in 2013, the effects were not as incredible, but then it started to feel more like one of those old-timey creature features that the movie itself was referencing. So it kind of became a, a wonderful historical artifact that still works really well. Like I said, I mean, he's a horror filmmaker at heart, and Jurassic Park is, you know, if it ends differently, it's a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a listen to uh, a clip, the Welcome to Jurassic Park clip, in which the creator of the park, John Hammond, is welcoming two scientists, played by Laura Dern and Sam O'Neill, who are overwhelmed by what they're seeing, that um, O'Neill's character even feels faint. This is from Jurassic Park. How fast are they? Well, we clocked the T-Rex at 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Oh. Put, your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park turns 30 this year. My guest is Bilge Aberi. We are talking about the anniversary of Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, 30 years ago released, as well as the career of Steven Spielberg. Our number is 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. Maybe you want to share your favorite Steven Spielberg movie, or maybe you want to share something about seeing Jurassic Park or Schindler's List in theaters, what those movies meant to you. 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Bill, I want to know a little bit about... Um, what the movie industry was looking like in 1993. So we can have some context for both Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. If right, if you if we transported back to 1993, what was the vibe? What was the ethos of Hollywood at that time? Well, it, it's you know technology has kind of created a, a, a almost a new genre of, of action movies, sci-fi movies, and things like that. Um, it's interesting for Spielberg. He actually went through a period in the late 80s, early 90s when his films weren't quite as successful. I mean, they were still successful. He was still Steven Spielberg. But, you know, that's when he makes Hook, which is a movie I personally love, but critics were pretty critical of it. Um, and there was this there was actually a question of can Steven Spielberg get back to being the kind of the king of the box office that he had been in the 80s and late 70s? Uh, Jurassic Park obviously solved that, <laughs> answered that question. But there was also a question about Schindler's List because, you know, he was also in the process of becoming a more serious director, or quote unquote serious director. He wanted to tackle more important subjects. He wanted to tackle more dramatic subjects. As I said, you know, he himself was kind of growing up, if you will. Um, and he had done films like uh, Empire of the Sun, again, a movie I personally love, but which was not as well received as, as I think he had hoped. Uh, so there was this question, can Steven Spielberg make a quote-unquote Oscar movie? Because that's what, how we thought of them back then. Oscar movie is a period mm. piece. It's about an important subject. And Schindler's List, I mean, absolutely cleans up not just at the Oscars, but, you know, all the critics' awards and things like that. I mean, it's a total award season juggernaut as well as a big hit. So both of those questions are answered. And actually, it's only a couple of years later that Spielberg 
uh, creates his own studio, essentially. He goes into partnership with um, with Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, and creates uh, DreamWorks. I want to ask about Schindler's List, his expansion into capital D drama. You, you talked about how it cleaned up at the Oscars. For people who don't remember, Oscar Schindler was a German Catholic industrialist and member of the Nazi Party. And during the Holocaust, he bribed officials into letting him retain Jewish workers. And he's credited with saving 1,200 people who otherwise would have been sent to death camps. As you said, he wanted to go into dramatic film and to, to more grown-up films. So how did this film, after you know, critical success. Uh, how did how did it change the trajectory of his career? It changed it in, in a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, it was a very personal project for yeah. him. You know, I mean, I've talked about it as kind of a big Oscar prestige period piece, but it was a very personal project for him. I mean, um, you know, I mean, we see in The Fablemans how, it, it, which is a semi-autobiographical film, we see how the young Steven Spielberg, Sam Fableman in the movie, has to deal with anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and things like that as a youth. Um, so, so that was very important for him. At the time, he actually said something along the lines of, I can't imagine myself making another movie, m- making another action movie with Nazis as the bad guys. You know, So there was actually this sense that he was going to move away from sort of the quote-unquote kitty pictures. Um, he never did, actually. I mean, he, he comes back and he makes a Jurassic Park sequel. and But, but he does, I think, start to make films that, speak to him personally much more. The films become much more personal. I mean, you know, we talk about his 1993, his, his, you know, his one-two punch of 1993. He also, he has a number of years that constitute one-two punches. Uh, mm-hmm. 1997, he makes The Lost World and he makes Amistad, uh, which is, again, a very personal movie for him. In 2002, he makes Minority Report and he makes Catch Me If You Can. Again, one is a big sci-fi blockbuster with Tom Cruise. The other is, uh, you know, a drama period drama with tom hanks and leonardo dicaprio both are big hits both are amazing films i actually think both are very personal but one one is much more personal for him than the other my guest is bilgi bilga ebiri movie critic at vulture and new york magazine we're talking about steven spielberg's big year of 1993 and we're going to continue to expand the conversation take more of your calls about your favorite spielberg films after a quick break this is all of it This is all of it. I'm Allison Stewart. My guest is Bilga Ibiri, movie critic at Vulture and New York Magazine. We're talking about the career of Steven Spielberg on this 30th anniversary of his films Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Let's talk to Dan calling in from Brooklyn. Hi, Dan. Thanks for calling in. Hi. You know, Schindler's List was unique in that instead of presenting this uh, uh, black and white picture of the Holocaust where you either were on one side or the other and that's it. You know, um, you either hated it or loved it and so on. And uh, in Schindler's List, there was this threaded humanity that ran through both sides and had a tremendous impact, especially on older people who lived through, through the World War II and subsequent wars. And it really raises this issue that the bad is not always totally in the bad and the good is not always totally in the good. As for Jurassic Park, I mean, very frankly, um, the lessons you teach uh, college students in biology and especially in evolution, they just can't see it. They can't imagine it. You're showing them a bunch of bones and so on. But that uh, film 
it just put them right into that period. And the amount of interest we saw in paleontology after that was just unbelievable. So I have to say that sometimes uh, Bologna movies like this uh, can really generate uh, a quantum jump in student interest in, in, in paleontology and things like this. And it might well apply to other science, like space science and so forth. And I just yeah. think these, are, these two movies are tremendous contribution that he made, and he took a lot of chances making it because people like to be dumb as a rule. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for calling in. I'm not going to say all people want to be dumb. Let's talk to Angela from Brooklyn. Hi, Angela. Hi, how are you? Great, you're on the air. So, yeah, um, so my favorite Spielberg movie is Duel. Um, and, but I, but I, I love the, I, my story that I wanted to tell was um, going to see um, Jurassic Park and I don't like scary movies, and I was really, uh, the scene with the kids in the kitchen, I was really getting scared, and my boyfriend leaned over to me and whispered, it's okay, honey, it's not Stephen King, the kids don't die <laughs> in Spielberg movies. And I could relax then and watch it, watch it without being too freaked out about it. Thank you for calling in, Angela. Really appreciate it. Someone, Steve, said, my favorite Spielberg movie is definitely E.T. That's the movie that kicked off my fascination with alien life forms and my love for Reese's Pieces candy. Bill, this is so interesting, people talking about the cultural impact of Spielberg films. The one caller who talked about uh, interest in science, this person talking about a fascination with alien and life forms. That's, I hadn't really put that together. Yeah, he he is. I mean, quite a because he is a big filmmaker who who does big projects. There's a lot of attention on these films, but he does give these these subjects a, a real a real reckoning and and, and a real um, investigation. I mean, if it, the earlier caller, um, I believe uh, I believe his name was Artie, who talked about Saving Private Ryan. You know, when Saving Private Ryan comes out. It really inaugurates a whole period of discussion of the, the, the greatest generation and World War II and, and things like that. Um, and like they said, you know, very much so the case with Schindler's List. Um, up, up until that point, there had not been a lot of movies about the Holocaust. After Schindler's List, we get a lot of movies and documentaries and things like that, some of which Spielberg himself produces. So all of these movies, especially the big ones, really have kind of long tails social and cultural long tails beyond just cinematic ones. Let's talk to Peter calling in from Jersey City. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for calling all of it. Hi. Hi. I, I just wanted to mention the um, contribution of, of John Williams to all of Spielberg's, most of Spielberg's films, and just the way that he responds to the tone that, you know, the Raiders' Lost Ark music is so different from the Schindler's List score. There's, of course, the Jaws theme. There's the last 20 minutes of E.T. that begins with the bicycle chase and ends mm. with the spaceship lifting off, which is gorgeous and operatic and very dominant in the scene. You know, there's very little dialogue in that final scene. It's mostly about the music and the actors' faces. Peter, yes. Thank you for calling in. And it brings me into a, a point that I, Peter made me think of something, that Spielberg has regular uh, collaborators. He has a cinematographer he often works with. Is it Janusz Kaminski? Am I saying it right? Yeah, Janusz Kaminski in, in, the, in the more recent one, starting with Schindler's List, or right around that time, I think. And uh, John Williams is a composer that he works with as well. So, you know, that is part of the job of being a filmmaker is picking your collaborators. Absolutely. You know, we, we talk about 
directors as auteurs, right? And, you know, very often there's this image of a, of a lone figure who's making all the decisions. But the greatest filmmakers are often working with, with other people in there. They're often working with the same people over and over again. Spielberg also has used this, the same editor, Michael Kahn, on a lot of films. Um, in recent years, he's worked with Tony Kushner, the playwright on the screenplays to the films. You know, these people are crucially important to the movies that he's making. Um, and, you know, he's someone who is obviously known as someone with, with brilliant ideas of his own and, and, and the visionary, but he's also known as someone who collaborates very closely with people. Let's talk to Edson calling in from Manhattan. Hi, Edson, thanks for calling all of it. Hey, Alison, thanks for taking my call. I'm from Brazil, born and raised over there. And now uh, one movie that stick with me was The Color Purple. And all because it was nominated, I believe, like to 10 or 11 uh, Oscars, but didn't get any. And also, I'd like to ask your, your guest why you think uh, Steven Spielberg decided to make the movie with uh, Whoop, um, uh, Whoop Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg, Dan yeah. Glover and um, Oprah Winfrey. And I just want to add something. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when I was over there in Brazil, I didn't realize about um, redlining. And when I see today movies like E.T., and I see, you know, the suburbs, they show mm -hmm. the suburbs, and I, you don't see black family at all in, you know, a lot of those movies. And, and, you know, when I was over there, I didn't realize, but living over here now in New York, I see, wow, whoa, those, like, directors, they reinforce the stereotype, those... uh, you know, yeah. uh, about uh, 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 the suburbans and, uh, you know, the lack of uh, uh, black families, African-American no. families. A hundred percent. I'm going to dive in because that's a, that's a conversation we could have about <laughs> what we export to the rest of the world through our films. But let's get back to specific. I think it's a good segment, actually. Let's get back to the specifics of the color purple, Ibarri. I mean, Bulgi. Bulga. Um, well, the color purple is... Uh, as as your as as, uh, as I think uh, his name was Edson, mm -hmm. he n noted uh, the color purple was nominated for all those Oscars and didn't win. You know, it was obviously a very acclaimed film. But that was actually during that period when people thought Spielberg was never quite going to be accepted as a serious filmmaker. Obviously, the film was a huge hit. It's also you know Whoopi Goldberg's acting debut. It's Oprah Winfrey's act acting debut. I think it's a great film, and I think Time has treated it a, a lot better than people thought it would. Um, but and and you're absolutely right. I mean, those early films, those early classic Spielberg films like E.T., something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, they're not necessarily um, particularly enlightened in terms of in terms of depictions of race and depictions of other cultures and things like that. As he as he grows, though, he he does begin to focus on these issues. And, you know, he himself has a has a has African-American children. Um, you know, it's it's something that has become more and more of a concern for him with those films. And I think that also shows how his films have become in some ways more socially conscious. One film that people should check out, which is not a conventional choice. What is it, Bilga? Oh, God, what a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, AI is one of those films that at the time that it came out, it, it, it got received mixed critical response. And I myself was a little ambivalent about it, but over the years, it just it, it just feels more and more powerful, more and more personal to him. You know, it's all about an artificially intelligent child being mm -hmm. brought into this biological family, uh, and it, you can tell you can tell his issues as a parent and his concerns as a parent and a father 
are really working themselves out in that film. Thanks to everybody who called to recognize Steven Spielberg's work and to Bilga Ibiri from Vulture magazine. Thanks, Bilga. Thank you. And that is all of it for this week. All of it is produced by Andrea Duncan Mao, Kate Hines, Jordan Loft, Simon Close, Zach Goddard-Cohen, El Malik Anderson, and Luke Green. Our intern is Catherine St. Martin. Megan Ryan is the head of live radio. Our engineers are Juliana Fonda, Jason Isaac, Shana Senstock, and Bill O'Neill. Luscious Jackson does our music. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening. I'll meet you back here next time. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.